another reminder to pray. To pray for our nation, to pray for this election, to pray for God's will to be done. Amen? Amen. Well, listen, I am so excited. I, uh, again, last uh, couple times, actually, my brother Dick has been here. It's been Joni and I were out of town, and it worked out for us to be able to take a couple days, and uh, knowing that our, the pulpit was filled with somebody that we trust and love, and it's always a pr- privilege to be able to have someone like that, but I'm really excited about being able to be here today. And uh, Dick and Donna, so welcoming and ha- gracious to have you here and to come visit us and to minister to us. Let's make uh, our brother Dick Williams very welcome today. Come on. Thank you so much, folks. It's always an honor to be here and to serve. You know, this church has a blend of solidity and fluidity like a few that we're in. And I feel personally grateful to be back in the proverbial saddle again with my wife and I. I was out three weeks with the COVID. That's the sickest I've ever been in my adult life, in fact, in my life. And I didn't have the severity of symptoms that some have. So my heart goes out. We've been able to counsel some through this and to be underscored in an intercessory position to spare those from just a miserable thing forged in the pit of hell. Still got a residue of fatigue in my body, so I don't have quite the spring in my step, but hey, the Lord quickens our mortal bodies according to Romans 8.11. You know, if I've got a particular role model, and I've got several in the Bible, people that I admire, both men and women, but if there's a particular individual, it would be David. He was a man after God's own heart. That's stated in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and also in Acts 13, 22. In other words, The heart or the depths of God took great delight in the depths in the heart of David. There were certain compatibilities of passion and values and priorities that David harbored in his heart. And he obviously admitted to being a work in progress. One of the things that they shared in common was a particular compassion for the underdog. David was loyal to the lineage of Saul, even though Saul was after him with murderous intent. His soul was bound together with Jonathan, and it was grievous with Jonathan's passing in battle, and even over Saul. Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was lame all of his life. David saw to it that the underdog Mephibosheth sat at a prime place of honor at the king's table, and the table covered his lameness. And the Lord is gracious to recognize those spiritual gimps and limps in our get-along, and to cover our lameness as he works covertly to heal our walk. 
Psalm 26, or 126 rather, depicts the affection of David for the underdog. God has special attention, as he says in Psalm 66, 2, to this one will I look, that is, with fixed, riveted attentiveness, he who is of a broken, contrite, wounded heart, and who reveres my word. And the Lord sees our weaknesses. Don't be ashamed of your struggles, but recognize as them as God's opportunities for reversals and the invasiveness of the power of his grace. This is Psalm 126, and most biblical scholars attribute this to David's authorship. I'll sing it more slowly than I usually do. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the heavens and the earth, who raises the poor from the dust, Raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap, and makes him sit with princes. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the heavens and the earth? Who makes the barren woman to sing? Makes the barren woman to sing? Makes the barren woman to sing? The grateful mother of children. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? Who humbles himself? To behold heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth. You know, David states his most prioritized petition before the Lord in Psalm 27 4, as he says, this one thing I ask and that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and behold his beauty in his temple. And of course the result in the next verse is that he's covered with the Lord's protection and he's given the vantage point militarily of the rock, the place of safety. One of my role models on this side of glory was ever too short in the tenure of his life. He was a young fellow back in the early 70s named Keith Green. Keith was a singer, songwriter, leader of worship, prophetic minstrel. And he passed on rather suddenly and tragically through a plane crash. But he left an imprint on so many of us in an exemplary Davidic demonstration in modern times.
Keith's example inspired me to write this song. So I lift adoring hands as I sing before your throne. With your love's consuming fire, make my trembling heart your own. With the incense of my heart, my impassioned lips proclaim, Holy, holy is the Lamb, holy, holy is your name. King of kings and Lord of lords, wreathed in glorious wings of praise, Holy, holy is the Lamb, ruler, the ancient of days. Jesus, you have melted me, that I may flow triumphantly. My soul has healed, my spirit's free. Your will to do, your face to see. Keith penned this song from his heart for his passing. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. When your eyes are on this child, your grace amazes me. You know, David admitted he wasn't there yet. He said, this one thing, in fact, this one thing above all other things I ask, and that will I seek after, to dwell in your house forever. And I don't believe he was talking about an edifice with walls and a canopy, but the dwelling place of the Lord in the manifest presence of royalty and to behold his beauty the multifaceted gem that is him. And you often reflect on that and to meditate on him in the night watches. As we flow along in word and song, folks, there'll be some personal words of encouragement and the edification. That's to build up exhortation to inspire and stir up and consolation to soothe. And I'll ask your name to further personalize it. And anything in prophetic packaging must lay it alongside the written statement of Scripture, borne witness to by your own spirit. And I submit it to pastoral authority here. What's your name right here? Laura. Laura, you're a warrior to the heart. And for those loved ones that you intercede that are fallen and hurting now, the Lord sees the militancy of motherhood that beats fast in your heart. And he's making you aware of the Holy Spirit who's come alongside as intercessory support to affirm and energize your intercessions and know that he is working backstage on their behalf. God bless that to you, dear. Now, <coughs> still a little bit of a residue of a cough. 
This is community property when you personalize it, and so it jumps all over the room to other people with dynamic ditto. So if that applies to you, make it so. My brother, what's your name? Ken, an intense desire to know God better, to see more of him with revelation knowledge, and to have him to have more of you. And he loves that about you. It is a Godward directed intensity. It's an integrity that loves the truth. Seated next to Ken is Breathe. A soft heart of mercy and yet a penetrating intuitiveness in people's needs and an ability to speak in depth to them in that way. Marvelous combination of cross-pollination, direct opposites in so many ways, and yet a harmoniousness that you've been willing to allow the Lord to direct and maestro in your marriage. God bless that to you. David harbored a keen sense of responsibility in practical assignments. He a, was a responsible shepherd over his father's sheep. And I can imagine him looking at the grandeur of God and creation and in the stars and serenading the Lord while he's picking on his harp. I hope on the other side of glory I get to jam with him a bit. <laughs> and imagine the docile sense of protection that the sheep felt under David. But he also had his rod and staff ready to go to battle and to protect that which he was responsible for. The Lord's given us stewardship over our own souls. And to recognize the armor of his protection and to use the word and staff thereof in declaration and confession to contest and protect that, as well as our families, our children, and those that have been entrusted to our care. David was a warrior before he ever faced Goliath. I imagine him as a muscular little dude. I think he was pretty well sculpted, and... Uh, even though he knew Saul before the confrontation with Goliath, Saul knew him mainly as a singer and probably thought he was more of a flower smeller than a warrior. He was soon to find out different as he tore apart the jaws of the lion and beat off the bear. But he was first and foremost a worshiper. And I can imagine him, when I wrote this song, singing something that would be parallel musically to this. Lord, I just want to say I love you. My voice soars freely to your waiting ear. Now that I've said it, 
let me sing to you the song I feel and bring to you. As the fruit of my lips I yield, and with my song I serenade you, and with my fingers move across melodic strings. My heart now wells up and dances as a fountain here. Before you, Lord, I adore you. So let your mountains, with their peaks, reflect your setting sun. Let the rising surf now break and bow before you. Let everything with breath now breathe your holy name. And say, Jesus, Lord, I adore you. And with my song, I serenade you. And with my fingers, move across melodic strings. My joy now wells up and dances as a fountain here before you. Lord, I adore you. Let your mountains with their peaks reflect your setting sun. Let the rising surf now break and bow before you. Let your oceans bow before you with their surf, saying, Jesus, Lord, Lord, I adore you. Young lady seated right here, you have long hair and kind of stripes on the sleeve there, and you're pointing to yourself. Uh, you're, you're seated behind the other lady that pointed to herself. You're right there. What is your first name? Lori. Lori. God reminding you as if you needed a reminder that he works the night shift. Those times that seem to have periods of dark night of the soul, that he's drawn to those times in his daddiness, in his Abba, Father, tenderness, so marvelously mirrored, manifested and replicated in his son, Jesus, the great and tender shepherd. And Jesus is taking sheer delight in sharing the daddiness of Abba Father for you and with you in this season of your life, who is your daddy too. There's a strength about you that really gives legitimate pride to your father's heart and he wants you to know that. And he looks with a smiling delight on that tenaciousness and tenderness and he's bringing you through this time. God bless that to you, dear. And to anybody else that that happened to jump over toward. Hallelujah. Oh. The Lord loved David's militant faith. Mm -hmm. 
You know, he was a meditator of the word. And I believe when he was facing Goliath, those five smooth stones were symbolic. You've seen river rock before. It, it's a projectile and it's been shaped by the flow of the water. And it's the flow and the stream of the Spirit with which he meditated on the Word day and night and in the night watches that prepared him for battle. And he drew five smooth stones from the stream. Five biblically is the number for grace. Grace is the divine operation of the force of God that's been set into supreme motion through the finished work of the cross of Jesus on our behalf. And yet David was a precursor and experience or and expressor of God's enabling grace. And the slingshot represents the declaration of his confession. I imagine he was doggone good with that sling had a lot of practice with it. Determined he was going to give that projectile a proclamation his best shot. And some of the movie depictions kind of show him in a guarded defensive stance. But in the biblical account, he ran at Goliath. He could see this towering human being of the descent of Anak and of the Nephilim. But he looked up infinitely higher yet at the infinitely higher God to say, I come to the, in the name of the Lord of hosts and I'll have your head, dude. He didn't have much of a rooting section. Definitely the Philistines were shouting him down. And I imagine the army on the other side of the Valley of Elah there, half of them had their eyes covered at the mutilation that they thought they were going to see, and his brothers has even been jeering at him and calling him prideful for wanting to be a show-off and even thinking he could take on this giant who refused to listen to the taunts and lies and accusations <coughs> and defamation of God and his people. Know that those giants in your life that would seem to formidably block your path, that would meet you in the valley of the shadow, that would try to obscure your view and make you feel like a grasshopper, that you are privileged with spiritual eyes be seated in the right hand of God, and that's higher than the higher end district, and to have the aerial view, and to be see above those things that tower above you, and to know that the slingshot of the utterance of the declaration of his truth, those smooth stones, projectiles that have been the product of meditation and by the stream of the Spirit, Four more than enough weaponry. By the way, it's recorded that Goliath had four brothers. And it's interesting that David, as Saul was in pursuit of him later, 
who lived from cave to cave acquired a group of guys that were losers in the natural, but they became mighty men of God. And four of David's officers and commanders and mighty men, lieutenants, slew those other four giants that were the brothers of Goliath. Moral of the story, you want to be a giant slayer? Hang out with them. Have compassion on those that seem to be wimps and encourage them. Make your focus and your interactive, up close and personal and exemplary form. People that dare to take on the seemingly titanic that becomes minuscule in the mirror of God's majesty. Yahweh is a warrior, and I've heard his mighty voice, seen his strong right arm descending. As his saints rejoice, his rod upon the enemy, its force a mighty blow. He breaks the spines of serpents, and yet his people know that Yahweh is so tender, his words caress his soul. Peacefully surrendered, nestled in his fold. His name is healing ointment, descending as a dove. Yahweh is a lover who covers with his love. Yahweh is a fire, and it blazes in his eyes, melts the chains of bondage, fire that cannot die, rest in bold authority, those who praise his name. Set free from sin's dominion, his liberty proclaim. Yet Yahweh is so tender, his words caress the soul, peacefully surrendered, nestled in his fold. His name is healing ointment, descending as a dove. Yahweh is a lover who covers with his love. Yahweh is a lion, and he roars from Judah's throne, shatters graven idols, raises up dry bones. Be a mighty army, to wondrously praise his name. Set free from sin's dominion, his liberty proclaim. Yet Yahweh, he's so tender, his words caress the Peacefully surrendered, nestled in his fold. His name as healing ointment, descending as a dove. Yahweh is a lover who covers 
with his love. Hallelujah. The tenderness and yet severity. The might and yet the mercy. Glorious flip sides of our marvelous God. God loved David's transparency. In Psalm 139, 23, he says, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. That is some gutsy prayer. To become utterly bare, naked in our innermost person to the searchlight of God. Now, that's not to be confused with carnal introspection, ingrown eyeballs. That's really a fleshlight that's a garbage expedition that just comes up with condemnation. But to come before him who loves us unconditionally and say, Lord, search me in the depth of my motives. Search me, Lord. My highest priority is behold your beauty in your temple and to be a flexion and a mirror of your majesty growingly. Hallelujah. Show me those things. I've come before him and he's shown me things that were areas of sin that I wasn't aware of. And I've also had areas that were shame intended to cover and forget that I could come before him who is our high priest according to Hebrews 4 in time of need and find grace of empowerment over sin and mercy of renewed forgiveness from its stigma and from its contamination. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God for an example like David of gutsy transparency. And folks, this is a time like none other to be bold-faced, open-hearted to the searchlight of God and to the deliverance of the two-edged laser scalpel of the Spirit-revealed Word. Hallelujah. Glory. Gentlemen back there in the nice, long, gray beard Shows a lot of length of wisdom. What's your name? My name is Anthony, sir. Anthony. Anthony is an encourager. He's swift to uplift. He's Mr. Congeniality. <coughs> Has a heart to be, see people uplifted. The Lord's brought you through some tough times, Anthony. There's been some shattered relationships and some Things that a lesser man would have quit, but the Lord met you in the valley and gathered you up and has seen you as royalty in his sight. That's how he looks and peers into the depths of your spirit as he begins to maestro that forward in greater measure. Anthony, who is swift to uplift. Hallelujah. God bless that to you. And anybody else that... Uh, Gave a you too, or is it a you also? 
relative to that. David was wildly celebratory before the Lord. And some of us are going to be more conservative in our expression with our personalities. But know if you've got a wonderfully wild side, even if the only place where you dare do it is dancing down through your house and shouting at the top of your lungs, your majesty, my king, you are magnificent. I know one of the churches that we attended uh, sometime back, uh, one of the sons of the worship leader did a Davidic dance. I mean, it was a fanatical fandango. This is Ian and, and Dory's son. I can't remember his name right offhand. Matthew, yes. I would go over there and look at Matthew, and I would think, you know, if I had those moves, I would emulate them. But in my inner, and I was doing my best to get some moves on, but in my spirit, I was, I was doing a duo with, uh, with, Dan, with, with Daniel. Hallelujah. David celebrated the arrival of the ark in, a, in Jerusalem. It had been the property of the Philistines during a down, dire time when Eli, the high priest, had rendered faulty leadership, had allowed his sons to go hog-wild, carnally crazy, and fell over backward to his death. It was a time where Samuel the prophet got his calling, but it was a time when the ark was captured with the Philistines. And they really considered it a prize, but the ark in the Old Testament is a symbolic statement of Jesus of wood, humanity, covered over with gold, which is divinity, as he was man of very man and God of very God, and the wings of the cherubim, and it was more than symbolic. It was the statement of God's presence in the wilderness and what was in the tabernacle of Moses prior to that particular order of doing things where you had the three compartments of the tent and the only guy allowed in the Holy of Holies was the high priest, the head cheese, and he would go in there annually to repent for himself and the people with a rope around his leg in case he screwed drag him out. David, when he brought the ark back and it went through quite a trek, had prepared this massive tent and not one head cheese, but a plurality of priesthood that would in shifts 24-7 celebrate God with energy and holy fanaticism. It was a place of a creative climate where so many of the Psalms were written. And so it is as God is restoring in Book of Acts, the Tabernacle of David in these days, and churches that elevate presence over platform performance are going to be those that are going to come in more fully to this restoration of the Tabernacle of David. It's interesting that the Tabernacle of David in the Old Testament coexisted with the Tabernacle of Moses. 
And they were still doing business as usual. The head cheese would go in with a rope around his leg and go into the Holy of Holies, but the ark was not there. They were those bogged down in tradition that put platform performance and programs over presence, and presence departed, essentially. There's going to be a line in the sand in these days, folks. There's going to be those churches that are going to become more exuberant and expressive than ever in their worship before God. There's going to be creativity and the happening of signs and wonders. Many of you here, you're going to realize manifestations of healing that you've been trusting God for for years. A parade of prodigals returning back. You are a church that elevates the presence of God over platform, performance, and procedure and be commended. And there will be those trapped in the tabernacle of Moses that God will have mercy of and give an exit out of there if they're willing to take it. Hallelujah. But it's not going to stand the shaking of the times. And the true expression of the statuesque beauty of God, that visible vessel that makes the kingdom viable and visible, is going to be the church that's a temple, the body, the family, the army, the bride, the restoration of the tabernacle of David. You know, I wrote a song about it. I don't remember all the verses. I've written more songs than I remember, i got to tell you. I had the one we were off during the COVID lockdown uh, on social media, relearn a lot of my, my own songs. But the chorus, and I imagine the Davidic fanaticism, the wildness of his dance. McCall, the daughter of Saul, who was David's wife at the time, looked at David with disdain thought he was violating his kingly dignity and showing off before the little handmaidens. Her resentment of his freedom resulted in the sewing up of her womb unto barrenness. Creativity is annihilated by a critical spirit that pharisaically criticizes the liberty of God's people. Make way for the power of his presence. The ark is coming, make your habitation wide. Put on the garments of salvation and with jubilation dance and sing. The king calls to his bride. Make way for the power of his presence. The ark is coming, make your habitation wide. Put on the garments of salvation and with jubilation dance and sing. The king calls to his bride. David, for all of his virtues and compatibilities with the heart of God and harmony, with those things that God coveted and championed, had a failure. And we all know what had happened with Bathsheba. 
And it's what can happen when we lapse into lethargy after the flesh. David was sunning himself back on his terrace in the season that the kings normally go out to battle. And we live in a perpetual war zone. There are particular seasons of intense battle. We're not constantly swinging the sword. If we do, our arm's going to turn into a noodle. But there are times for the violent declaration of truth at the expense of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and spiritual warfare, and to lapse into a lethargy of lukewarmity and be spiritually lethal. It was at that time he recognized kind of in the lower level terrace, Bathsheba, and the way the King James puts it is, quote, she was fair to look upon. And lust began to take hold of David. You know, it's an interesting thing. I heard a teacher recently say that David, in his transparency before the Lord, prayed over every single possible problem that someone could have. And sometime he would begin his prayers in a carnal state. Some of the, just the violence, hey, dash their heads against the rock. They're not prayers to model. But they're just examples of sometime we feel those things. And we can come before God and as we err and bear our soul and clear the air, God gets us to simmer down and settle down and embrace a heart of mercy and begin to pray spirit-directed prayers again. Another one of the psalmists, Asaph, in Psalm 73, was grieved and envious over the prosperity of the wickedness. And it just tore his heart apart with anger to where he was ashamed as a leader of worship in David's tabernacle to even get up before the people of God. But he pressed into the presence of God and he saw that they were on a slippery slope and ended up by saying, Lord, I don't envy them a bit. My portion is you. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart says, God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. That's direct from the New American Standard. Psalm 73. But David held his sin in secret, and I mean it was heinous. He enraged, arranged for the murder of Bathsheba's husband, who had been desperately loyal to David. And when it was revealed by the prophet Nathan, who spoke in a parable, someone who portrayed David and David said whoever this man is should be slain violently and David's bony or Nathan's bony prophetic finger said David you are the man David collapsed in brokenness and repentance before God which I believe is another thing that the Lord takes pleasure in the depth of repentance 
I've never committed adultery, but I can look back to a sin failure in my life decades ago now, but it's prolifically underscored in my memory. I'm just a real failure before God and a depth of repentance and the marvelous mercy that I found and the turning unto restoration and the putting back together of my shatteredness with Holy Ghost Superglue. Hallelujah. This was David's song of repentance in Psalm 51. And incidentally, this was set to music by Brother Keith Green. Created me a clean heart. Let's up that a little bit. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take away the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit from me. All but restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Maybe you've got a sin issue you're dealing with in secrecy in your own heart this morning. I empathize and I know what that's like. Maybe it's a secret struggle with addiction. And it's so shameful that it makes us want to run from the one that can deliver us. But he's drawing us all the while. And as we open up those areas of addiction, compulsion, self-medication that are a substitute for God's grace and it's a driven insanity with no sense of con consequences, we can come before the Lord in open-heartedness. And the first thing to repent of is the idolatry of it. But then he begins to work to release us from the bondage of it. Sometimes that takes time in the Holy Spirit, sometimes three steps forward and two steps backward. But he is patient with us and begin to give us a view of ourselves as being addictively free, as being free from addiction and says, this is the you that I am constructing and sculpting. Submit and let me shape you and free you from this. I know there is epidemic Addiction in the house of the Lord in these days in various forms and ways and means. And uh, I won't mention their names because it's their story, but they've made it public. There are two particular ministries, uh, in fact, four that come to mind, that God has given a considerable notoriety to on TV that in the early years of their ministry had struggles addictively 
with even demonic attachments that were still able to minister publicly and effectively because the gifts of God are without repentance. But eventually, no matter how gifted we are, we get too sick to render the gifting, and God loves us too much to let those kinds of things go on. And it's also a lesson not to exalt a man on the basis of his giftings, but to recognize the source and origin of the gift and pray for those that are in those targeted positions in platform and public and in notoriety of special protection because they are point men and women and particular targets of the enemy. Praise the name of the Lord. Make way for the power of his presence. The ark is coming, make your habitation wide. <coughs> Put on the garments of salvation and with jubilation. Leap and sing, leap and sing. The king calls to his bride. These are exciting days to be living in. This was an exciting year for us. We celebrated 30 years of itinerant ministry on the road. We celebrated our 50th anniversary in July. And in September, I celebrated my 80th birthday and became an official octogenarian. <laughs> 20 years ago, 20 years ago, you would have asked me what's an octogenarian and I couldn't have told you. I said, is it somebody that doesn't eat veal, or is it similar to a Methodist, you know? But uh, here we are still moving with the Lord at his pace with my beautiful bride, who isn't public in the aspects, but she's socially skilled more so than I am, and she is the detailed person where I'm the visionary. I know where we're going, but she knows where we're at, and puts me in touch with a starting point keeps me from taking myself too stinking seriously and to affirm and keep my vision heavenward and keep my feet planted firm on the ground and my walk in rhythmic cadence with the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for her this morning. God bless each and every one of you. Amen. Come on, let's stand together and Let's just spend a couple of moments here worshiping the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for how you're moving in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for our brother Dick and Donna. And I pray, Lord, that you keep and protect them. We pray, Lord, that as they go on to uh, the next place of calling where they'll be ministering, I pray that you send them forth with a fresh new word, a fresh anointing, a fresh blessing from this place. Let them be encouraged, Lord God, in these days and in these years, Lord, where they begin to speak fatherly and fatherly advice into the lives of those that you're blessed blessing. And I thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that you encourage them. Take them and use them mightily, Lord, as you've used them in this place today. Use them, Lord God, where that is that they shall go, where their feet shall take them, Lord. Let them find that you have gone before them to prepare, Lord, the blessing, to prepare your anointing, to prepare the hearts of those you're sending them to. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood 
and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus name sing Christ alone Christ alone on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil if you believe that come on sing it out lift up your voice Christ We love you, Lord. Christ alone. It is you, Lord, our cornerstone. Lord of all, amen. Come on, give one more shot of praise today. Give thanks for our special guests. All right, church is not over. Church is about to begin. I want you to go be the church. Go be the light of God. Go be the love of God. Go be the heart of God. Go out there and show them who Jesus is by your life. God bless you all. We love you.